Greetings, Pear Shorvins of Retrogrades. I hope you're excellent on this Holy Thursday. Today, I have a very special show for you. I've been excited about this show for, for some time, hoping to get this guest. My guest is Mr. Royce White, who is a former NBA player, which you know is a big deal for me, huge fan of the NBA that I am. He's a uh, current and past anxiety and mental health advocate. He's a reverted Catholic. He's an all-around based and red-pilled dude. You've probably seen him around the inter- internet. He's been making big waves. <clears throat> and I guess most current events, he is challenger to U.S. Representative Ilan Omar, uh, the seat up for the 5th Congressional District in Minnesota. And he's more important than any of that. He is our guest here today on Rules for Retrogrades. Royce, it's a great honor to have you, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um. Yeah, no, they did. I've been going through all your interviews. It's all good stuff. You've been all over Twitter with, with short clips, medium length clips, long clips. You said a couple things I was cheering for that uh, we're just, we're, we're in your corner. I think everyone is. This is becoming a national story. You have an interview with uh, Whitlock that's hitting later tonight. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. 6 p.m. It should air 6, 630. I forget which time I'm on this so often, but uh, it, it'll be tonight on on the Fearless YouTube channel. So that's going to be a big deal. Um, right before we get going, can I just ask you something? I, I read something on your Wikipedia page that excited me a great amount in the big three league. You fought Josh, Josh Smith. Is that right? He didn't really get in a fight. You know, uh, it was my first season in the big three back in 2019. And uh, we were in Detroit for the first game. And, you know, Josh had some turmoil or some controversy in his departure from Detroit where he hadn't been playing, but Detroit was still paying him. Um, and we had a we had what I think is the biggest turnout so far since I've been in the big three in that Detroit arena. So it was filled with a lot of Detroit Pistons fans. And when Josh came out, they booed him. Um, and I really didn't understand why they were booing him because I myself didn't pay that much attention to the NBA at that level uh, since I had had my own issues with the league. And, uh, you know, he was just a little riled up. He was fired up. You know, he didn't really know me. Uh, he probably had only heard about me through, you know, the media and stories or whatnot. So, you know, he, he got to talking a little bit too familiar for my liking. And then I told him, hey, you know, you know check how you're talking. And uh, he didn't want to. So, you know, we got in a, a little a little physical shoving match, pulling match. I went for a, a wrist lock and uh, he felt he felt the power and the, and the legitimacy of skill in the wrist lock. And he, he pulled away and, and that was it. Yeah, he's, he's a punk. Uh, yeah, that, so that, that doesn't surprise <laughs> a, me one bit. He's a good. No, he's a good guy. You know, after Is that. He? Yeah. He, yeah. No, he's he's he I think. He suffers from what a lot of young, what a lot of athletes who were groomed up in the professional sports or basketball realm suffer from. Um, you know, the, the professional sports stunts people's intellectual growth uh, in a yeah. lot of ways. And and yeah. but me and him talked after that, and we become good friends. Actually, out of all of the players who I've met that either played in the NBA formally or still do, he's been one of the most consistent supporters in saying, "Hey, you know." Speak, speak the truth and keep going. So he's actually he's actually closer to our side of things than people would realize. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I shouldn't shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I, I I never rooted for him there with his time in the Eastern Conference, and then he kind of vanished from the league. But that was yeah. Main, yeah. mainly just a, a, a funny aside I saw when I was just checking a couple P's and Q's on you um, yeah. to do this interview. But okay, look, other, other people, when they come on the show, I've had NFL players, I've had heavyweight boxing champs uh we interviewed buster douglas and they i'm not always looking for the cheap connection the cheap or the superficial connection to roman catholicism or even christianity writ large there are so many deeper connections with current events that that loop back to our faith and so i'm not i'm not always looking for that people are interviewing like mark Wahlberg now because of his new movie out, uh, Father, Father, what's it face? Father Stu. Yeah, I'm like, man, if I got an interview with Mark Wahlberg, I'd want to talk to him about the fighter. You know, what's it, what's it like to play Irish Mickey Ward? There's lots of yeah. themes of Roman Catholicism in our everyday life. And when, when you went, Royce, on Tim Pool's show about two weeks ago, and you're talking to his whole crew there in set, you, my friend, were doing what I would call nothing short of an expert job of weaving these themes in not even intentionally not even to 
evangelize or whatever, but you're weaving the themes into natural discussion. And you said something like, um, well, the importance of ministry has been lost altogether in America. And that's what you were doing as you went on that show. It's a good show, but you were weaving themes of sanity that uh, sometimes show up on the show. They show up when Seamus, Seamus is there, but uh, you, you did a really good job. I want to commend you. What was that like? Well, you know, I've been watching. I was introduced to Tim Pool by watching Rogan's podcast. And um, I also saw, well, I got introduced to Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon had gone on Tim Pool's podcast, and he said that he thought it'd be a perfect uh, pair for me and Tim to get together and do an episode. And this was probably about six or seven months back. We hadn't found the time to do it. Um, we finally found the time to do it. We've, yeah, we finally found the time to do it. And, uh, you know, I had a good time. Went out to Virginia or I mean, West Virginia, where they're located, had fun. We had a good conversation. And, you know, ultimately, you know, where, where people are in their faith, I'm sensitive to because I think everybody is on a spiritual journey. I was born and raised Catholic on two different sides of my family. My black family was Catholic. We, we came up in the Catholic parish right in our Rondo community in St. Paul. Um, and, and my Mexican family is devoutly Catholic. Uh, they're on the west side of St. Paul, which is one of the first Mexican communities of our, of our city there in St. Paul. And my grandmother helped found Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is the, the centerpiece of Catholic faith in, in, in the city of St. Paul for the Mexican community. So, you know, I, I, I always have seen things through a context of Christian and Catholic faith. Um, I think coming up through a, a culturally Democrat community, I myself lost the ability to, to converse and, and point to the things that are going on in our time through a Christian and Catholic lens. But I've, I've recently been able to reconnect to that as I've seen a broader picture of things uh, go on and, and unfold in our society. Yeah, man, look, the, the situation might be a little more universal than you're even thinking with the um, losing the bearing for one's faith. That's this really happened. It was happening in the 70s. I think I'm about 10 years older than you. It was happening in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s where, you know, after after the council, whatever we, we say, uh, the post-conciliar era, men in particular have not really connected with our faith in any meaningful way. It's been difficult to make sense of it and not to conceive of Christianity writ large, but but Catholicism in particular as a, a really kind of silly, bourgeois, boomerish thing because it's been changed by the church, by and for the church ladies. And uh, it's gone against the bimillennial tradition of, of the church that Christ founded. And so you re- verting to your faith, reestablishing your own faith. I, I did so, you know, in the last, uh, you know, decade and a half. Everyone I talk to on this show, on the internet, almost all of them, 95% of them fell away from the faith and then realized, holy cow, this is the real deal. It's all true. The great conspiracy of my life growing up agnostic and Catholic. I don't know if you went to Catholic schools, but I went to Catholic I schools. I did. And it's like, it's a joke. You're drawing bad pictures and stuff on your, in your theology textbooks because there's such a joke. There's no reverence for the Eucharist and you never really are even insisted on by any of your teachers that it's real. So the great conspiracy of our lives, if we're going to talk Steve Bannon and you're making uh, Alex Jones jokes when you're on Tim Pool, the great conspiracy is that it's all true with regard to Roman Catholicism. And, and that I found that shocking when I came back into the faith. What about you? Yeah, well, I come from a different place where, you know, like, like, again, I never really strayed from faith. It just wasn't central. So I guess that is a stray. But my intuition, let's say around my fight with the NBA or the corporatocracy, was always centered around the human condition right? The, the, the metaphysical nature of the human condition, which you could say is what mental health is a, is a good definition of, right? Where mind, body, and spirit converge. Um, but, but also, you know, I just had a deep yearning for the truth. And I think that God is truth and that God is the logos. And, and my, my natural intuition when I wake up in the morning, what drives me is to root out contradiction. I mean, contradiction. 
And I think there is a, a, a very prominent Christian ethos in the rooting out of contradiction, things that I picked up and was, and was conditioned in growing up as a Catholic and hearing the word at mass and things like that, that I didn't even really fully understand until I was in the throes of this sort of neoliberal proliferation and culture today and had to sort my way and arm myself to fight against it. Yeah, there's a uh, moment when you were talking to Tim Poole, and I, I don't want to get too deep on Aristotelian metaphysics by any means, because we're just having a conversation. But, you know, T- Tim's a, a really, really interesting speaker, and he's at where he's at. But you guys were talking about the soul. And um, at one point, he was making this insightful uh, inroads on the discussion about the metaverse and how unrewarding it would be to uh go go skateboarding in the metaverse because it it doesn't there's no reward you know if there's no sweat equity you don't put put in that work as a basketball player as a boxer as a skateboarder then you know the 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 dump of endorphins is accordingly less it's got to be because you didn't put in the work on the front end and he's making this great point but what i wanted to say what i was shouting at the screen when i was watching it was that this is the whole aspect. He'd just gone through with you for 20 minutes discussing, oh, do you believe in a soul? What's a soul? This, that. Christian Aristotelianism, the, the, the point of the university, the reason humans developed a university was to impart Christian Aristotelianism. And the whole point is that the soul's in the body. The body and the soul are united. And whether or not Tim Poole understood it as he made this point about skateboarding can't be that rewarding if you do it in the metaverse because you don't have your body you don't have the corporeal experience of going through all that um it's it's funny because we've all been brainwashed with this cartesian dualism that our souls and our bodies are utterly different and the soul is this mystical thing like on tom and jerry if tom gets hit in the head with the piano his body lays down and his soul floats out that's not what it is our souls and our bodies are united and um people as they're pushing this transhumanism on us more and more, they're getting red pilled to Christian Aristotelianism. They just don't know it. The, the, the soul is in the body. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, my, my intuition was always towards the unify, the unification of mind, body, and spirit. Um, and I came I came from the Catholic faith, so the the the, the triune uh, perspective of human existence it was in my foundations growing up. But also, when I dealt with the mental health topic as a as a topic, and we dealt with health as a topic, I looked at how the NBA, for example, or the corporatocracy, wanted to dissect mental health from physical health. And I said, "Wait a second! Wait a second! Uh, there is." Even in even in a in a scientism based health industry, medical industrial complex, there is a real efficacious perspective to be observed in the idea of a comprehensive health model. Okay, so so you know, like that's not a foreign concept, even in health, which right. sometimes becomes pretty secular and atheist itself. But even they in that industry have some resemblance of of the unification. And so when I looked at that and I got into the broader social I- I- ideologies um, that, that were explicitly atheists and, and anti-God, I went, oh, okay, that's why my natural intuition was to merge mind, body, and spirit and use that as a, as a, as a central theme in my fight for mental health against the NBA. And it just expanded or, or uh, linked to to my Christian ministry today. Of course, it's all, it's all linked up. Uh, Aristotelian, hylomorphism, body-soul unity, and you, my friend, were, if I can say this, you were early on the uh, mental health curve. You were early on that wave because that was back in the teens. And now you, you watch the Olympics, you watch any sports, and it's all mental health, mental health, mental health. You were talking about this back before it was trendy to do. I, and as someone who suffered a lot of anxiety after my first daughter was born with a lot of health issues spent too much time in children's hospitals during law school. I was, I was a bad anxiety patient. I'm also afraid to fly. I know neither of us are, are super happy flyers. And um, this really affected your 
career coming out of college, going into the NBA. Would you talk about that a little bit? You're really early on this wave. Yeah, I was probably the earliest, you know, before me, public figures, celebrities, athletes, by and large, spoke about mental health only in times when they had transgressed the, the, the social norm or narrative surrounding them and they needed an explanation as to why. You saw this a lot in Hollywood when certain actors or actresses would have some trouble and then they would, you know, go to rehab and, and they, their explanation would be that there was a lot of uh, there was a drug problem. Right. For example, alcohol or these type of things. Um, but as far as a young athlete who was just coming in on, you know, into the public sphere, not many athletes had talked about mental health proactively ahead of having trouble. And I did that. And, you know, at the time, I didn't really realize it, but. The mental health topic is maybe the best example of this anti-God, uh, you know, ethos that's emerging right now in our current social culture. And, and I say that because, you know, I, I thought that the NBA didn't want to have a mental health conversation because they had an archaic view of medicine, of health, of, of human beings in a, in a scientific sense. But what I came to realize later is that they were fully aware of the implications of, of, psych, uh, of the human psychology, psychological crisis, and the spiritual crisis that it was rooted in. And ultimately, they, along with their other corporate co-conspirators over in Silicon Valley, big tech, the central banks, uh, the military industrial complex, uh, they all had plans to be predatory around the human psychology. And the plan was basically, as so far as I can make out, that humanity is plagued with radical materialism, which is divorced, obviously, from faith in God. And the plan is to double down and dive further into radical materialism to a place where they don't even have to make good on the material promise. Right. Um, they're going to give you a virtual or digital uh, material experience that is supposed to quell or, or, or satisfy the, the abnegation or, or lack of faith in God. And it'll never work, but it explained why the natural intuition towards me upon arrival in the NBA was, hey, 21 year old kid, you wanna talk about the human psychology, shut your mouth, right? right. And, and I think Tim, even when we were talking about it, he tried to simplify it and say, uh, well, you know, they probably just didn't want you messing up the money. It's so much deeper than that. Um, no, it is. And, it is. And yeah. And, and so, you know, I think a lot of people who play with thinking about society wide issues, conspiracy, for example, let's say, which is a word that's been completely weaponized. And we know the CIA coined the term in order to control the narrative. But um, if you lack a metaphysical faith if you if you lack an understanding or faith in god it becomes very hard for you to connect the dots uh of of satan and and evil forces at work in the universe and i always tell people when it comes to conspiracy or conspiracy theories where there isn't a smoking gun the explanation becomes metaphysical and that satan and the forces of evil are coalesced um and and that's where you can connect the dots and i think that most of most of what we're seeing in society today shows us that that uh, there is a supernatural force at work um, that that can't be explained by physical evidence. Yeah, Alex Jones was way ahead of the curve on this one. He called it info wars, informational wars. Those informational wars are transitioning into outright spiritual wars. And and for me, there was a kind of red letter date, a red letter moment, a few a few days before the election of President Trump back in early November of 2016, when we got the WikiLeaks dump, and it turns out that that Hillary Clinton and all of her campaign staffers, including the Podesta brothers, were engaged in satanic seance rituals called spirit cooking with the famous Satanist. They're really doing this stuff. It's not symbolic. It's not proverbial. They're playing for keeps. And the, the info wars are, are still here, but they've given way to the spiritual wars. You're, but here, let me, because you made a point. You're like, yes, the NBA is greedy. They want the money, but it's so much more than that. Their corruption runs so much deeper, Tim. I, I, I understand the point you're trying to make. You as a younger man, 
you know, t- 10 years ago or so, right? You got there and you thought, hey, I think that was still during the campaign of, that was David, David J. Stern, right? Be- before. Um, we, That's right. David yeah, that Stern. was right be- before he transitioned out to, uh, to Adam Silver. Yep. NBA cares, right? NBA cares. So you're just a, 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 a good dude with a heart, with feelings, afraid to fly, have other anxiety issues. I don't, I don't know the extent of them, but you're, you're flesh and blood. You're a human being and NBA cares, right? So they're going to work with me. You, my friend, you found out what it's like to be to one side or to the other side, the discomfiture of the Overton window. You were ahead of the curve and yeah. you were shunted to the side. And now they took some of your talking points, it sounds like, for reasons that are partly spiritual, partly transhumanist, partly greed-based. And uh, now they're using your talking points, even though you're kind of shunted to the side during your early NBA career. Is that well? Well, what they've done, what what they've done, in effect, is what they do with with most issues. And I think we, even as Christian believers, as as, as believers in in Christ and God, we have underestimated the complexity or sophistication with which Satan has waged war and an info war to Alex Jones's credit. Yeah. Um, I like to say now that the biggest lies hide behind the greatest truths. And you can see this with black people being used as a cultural linchpin for Marxism or wokeism or neoliberalism. Um, and it's not to say that black people haven't experienced great um, tragedy throughout American history. But it is to say that when you actually comb through that American history, you find that the impetus towards globalism and economic imperialism is really at the helm of of how and why black people have faced such hardship and and perpetual, you know, perpetually. So, you know, it's the same thing with mental health. Right. I think the effort to normalize the mental health conversation into a into a place where more athletes feel comfortable speaking out or coming out, as they say, uh, to talk about their mental health was to create this sort of casual nature to it where and, and there were even implications of this early on in some of the journalists that covered my story and Chuck Klosterman, for example, who is one of the top pop writers in, in the country still to this day, he made the suggestion that, hey, if mental Ill, if everybody has mental illness, like you say, um, doesn't that mean that it's normal? And I go, no, not at all. <laughs> um, but 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 that is the spirit of how they want to try and shape the mental health conversation along with others. So I do think that it, post my fight with the NBA, the goal was to suppress any real truthful. Um, any real truthful take on mental health as it relates to the corporate toxic in the corporate world and allow for uh, more vanilla versions of, of mental health activism to surface that they could then back uh, that were not really threatening and then co-opt and, and then use to normalize this entire psychological predation that they have going today. And, and ultimately, you know, I tell people from talking to people behind the scenes in the NBA, you find out real quick that money isn't the bottom line. That's another uh, biggest lie hiding behind the greatest truth is money is uh, a mechanism of Satan and it has been corrupted and it has become overtly evil in our society. But money is not the bottom line. And I have been in rooms with people where they will openly tell you they're willing to sacrifice money for the principle and the principle of, of wickedness and evil. Yeah, back in the 90s, Royce, if, or, or early 2000s, before I was red-pilled, if, if you were listening to someone that really wanted to embody cynicism, if they wanted to sound like a skeptical cynic, they would say, oh, it's all about money, money, man. It's all about dollars. This is what makes the world go round. That's it. That's, that's the wizard behind the curtain. In yeah. any uh, cultural scenario, you know, the power is the money behind it. But then, like I say, for, for me, that red-letter date is, is around the mid-20-teens. 20, 20 you find out guys like George Soros and whoever, whomever he represents, they're spending money like nobody's business. 
for a greater purpose. The money is not actually the terminus. Uh, it's not the ideological terminus, right? They, they spent, what, $600 million to get a bunch of uh, ideologues as district attorneys in just a, f- a few places around the United Billions. States. Billions. Who, who, who knows how much money they put, put into their, their efforts? I mean, it's, it's almost unquantifiable. Right. From, from, from my perspective, it's like, yeah, that, that is so much money. It's almost unquantifiable. And furthermore, it, it just it proves the point you're trying to make. It's like, yeah, my, yes, I'm a cynic, too. People do really sleazy things for money. You know, the, the desire for money in some places in the Bible is called the root of all evil. But but it goes a lot deeper than that, because we're in this. I don't know, penultimate or ultimate era of the world right before things i mean who knows no man knows the the day of the hour but yeah. seems like the perusia our lord is is not long from coming back and things are just getting weirder and weirder so it's not just money there's something deeper stranger and more spiritual than money and like i said i i watched your your excellent uh engagement with tim pool and his whole crew and you're you're continu- not because you're trying to weave it in like as Pope Francis would say, you weren't proselytizing. It's just at the front of your mind. And this is what's so exciting about your uh, candidacy, your, your campaign for uh, Minnesota's fifth congressional district is you talk about this stuff as an old friend. You talk about this stuff. You're, you're weaving in these themes comfortably. You're not trying to get a name drop. You're not trying to make the, the cheesy 90s Republican politicians say, hey, I'm such a I'm a man of faith and flag. It comes across naturally. And you're like, look, this is the real shit, man. This is really what's going on. This is the truth is that it's an information war giving way to a a spiritual war. So I'm I'm genuinely excited about your candidacy to take uh, uh, to replace. I'll, I'll use the proper word to replace uh, in the seat for Minnesota's fifth congressional district, Ilhan Omar. Can you want to tell us a little bit about that? Where did this conception come from? Who gave you the idea? And when did you say, let's green light this? Well, first I want to say to, to, to circle back to something you mentioned here is I actually have a huge cynicism and criticism of the 1990s Republican man of faith, um, motif, Right. I, I believe that the only the only reliable explanation from a logical standpoint at how we've gotten to this place is that republicanism has ceded um, much ground to Satan in and of itself. And that's why recently I penned an open letter to the Minnesota GOP. But I was really talking to the entire GOP and asking the question, are we the party of God and the. The, the journey that I went on helped me frame the need for politics to not be separate from faith in the same way that I had to argue on many occasions that politics weren't separate from professional sports. And you see that right wing argument in the pro sports wokeism versus right wing politics debate today is you'll hear a lot of Republicans say, oh, I don't want any any politics in my sports. It's like, well, you're probably just a heretic then, right? You're probably, you're probably a yeah. part of the reason why the left was, has been able to run roughshod over, the Repu- over Republicanism uh, over the last 20 to, to 60 years um, because the politics are never off, especially not professional sports. And faith and the, the abnegation or the crisis, the spiritual crisis is never off in politics. Um, so, you know, just through my own journey, I was able to add those up one, two, three. And yeah, that that in large part led me to to throw my name in the hat to run against Ilhan Omar, um, Steve Bannon. And I first I had the the idea or the the desire or ambition to run for governor. Um, and that happened during the George Floyd uprisings. And I had written a letter to Governor Tim Waltz, an open letter. Uh, winter is coming. And, and I talked about the, the grandiosity of the federal government undermining the meaning of community and that state state elected officials at some point were going to have to take a stand against the momentum of tyranny from the state. Uh, I mean, I mean, from the from the federal government. And uh, he never responded to that letter, never got any correspondence. Actually, obviously, of course, he, he wouldn't. Um, so I had an, I had an impetus to just run for governor and, and, and go against him and say, OK, 
you know, let's get to it. Let, let's go. Let's go in the arena of ideas. Um, then I got more connected with Steve and Steve and I developed a good relationship. And we started to talk about the country, uh, about our beliefs and, and, and the strategy going forward and uh, you know, nationalist populism. And the, it, it came up one day that someone needed to challenge Ilhan Omar. And right away, when it was mentioned, I thought to myself, this is the proper start of my political journey, is to take a ministry of truth into the belly of the beast, into a district that's D plus 29, into a community that I was intimately raised in, and, and, and show my reverence for God and my faith in the word by bringing a ministry into a place that by all metrics has rejected God and, and Christianity and faith. And um, a testament of the will is, is, is to come here shortly. Uh, and, and I have faith that, that I'll be triumphant. And even if I'm not able to win the election, I will win hearts and minds. And, and that's what we are charged to do as Christians spreading the gospel, as I understand it from my Catholic upbringing, right? Beautiful. How can people help and where, where can they find you online? I mean, you're, you're everywhere on the internet now, but how can they help you in the campaign specifically? Um, RoyceWhite.us, that's our campaign website. Um, you can also follow me on all forms of social media, I would say, but I'm, I'm on Getter a lot. I'm still, still kicking away on Twitter, although I feel like I'm getting a, a, the shadow ban and the censorship thrown on me more and more these days. Um, and you can also follow me on Substack. All of my pieces on Substack are free for people to enjoy. When you're talking about War Room, Steve Bannon, and something that, that Bannon's been phenomenal about over the last yeah. six years, or really over the last decade, but is attacking what you call the intellectual laziness of the right. You use this term on Tim Pool. And again, I was, I was clapping and, and hopping up and down when you said this, because the so-called right capitulates to feminism. And, and that's why we have uh, rampant homosexualism. And then after that, transsexualism, we never we refuse ideologically as a principle. We refuse on the right to address a problem in its bud, to nip problems in their bud. You just say transsexualism. Ha ha ha. We'll be saying that today. You know, this is crazy. This is gender dysphoria. But in five years, most of the members of the so-called right will just capitulate to it. Well, why? It's because that's how the Overton window works. They own big tech. They stormed all the other institutions and they know how the collusion of the institutions works. So because we refuse to address problems at their root, which is, hey, you know, feminism. If, if, if a man can ontologically be a woman or if he can act like one in the bedroom, then it probably stems from our view that men and women can swap fungible roles, right? And, and, and that's just feminism. That's just one example. We do this across the board as right-wingers, and I'm sick of it. And there does seem to be something of a healthy response, by, particularly by Zoomers, right? Where they're like, we don't want to do that anymore, man. We don't want to just keep you know, punting the football and playing slow growth progressivism, which is all right wing has been for pretty much all of my life, all of your life. It just seems like your candidacy and some others that are very refreshing stand for the proposition that we're not going to do this anymore. We're going to be counter revolutionaries if necessary. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I came from the void politically and actually I, for many years considered myself to be apolitical, although I associated with, um, Democrat politics because I came from a culturally Democrat community. Black people just voted Democrat. Although socially, I was always conservative for the most part. I mean, my, my values are much more aligned with conservative values because I do believe conservative values are more aligned with the natural order. And, and Black people just in our everyday living experience in this country have to rely on the natural order because there's a real there's a real Darwin style, uh, you know, thing that's taken survival thing that happens in black communities that are bereft of morals and ethics. So, yeah, I, I got to a certain age. And look, I'm only 30 years old. So, I mean, uh, a lot of people you go through a huge progression from your late teens, 20s to, to being 30. 
um, I, I expedited that progression because I decided to take on a righteous fight and, and take a righteous position against the global giant in the NBA. So that that matured me. Um, but yeah, I got to an age where I looked around and I'm just going, a uh, woman can have a penis. This is nonsense. And I and I and I felt that way before. I decided to get involved in politics when the George Floyd situation hit. I hadn't been involved in any of these grassroots community organizations, um, but I knew that the mainstream media was going to use that op- that that situation to to hijack the cultural narrative yet again and do exactly what the NBA had done with mental health. So I just went to the front lines as a leader, as I think good leaders should do, into the belly of the beast and said, "Hey." This is all. A, this is all a three card Monty. This is a scam. This isn't about the first precinct, the, the 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 first precinct police department. This is about the Federal Reserve. This is about a global corporate community, uh, a culture of that global corporate community, and a lack of faith, a lack of morals and ethics. And what I saw or what I found was this wokeism and neoliberalism and Church of LGBTQ transhumanism culture uh, on the front lines and and so i just came face to face with it and i'm like completely i completely reject this to the point where uh, most of the time i spent organizing these peaceful protests during the george floyd situation ended up being arguments with the woke left uh, about their desire to you know police who got to speak based on marginal status and, uh, you know, I was just very brazen and cutthroat and short tempered with them, as I think people should be and saying, you know, you white liberal women get behind me. You'll never lead a, lead a revolution. You're definitely not leading a genuine revolution of black people or black men. That That's for sure. And and when I dug through all of that minutia and, and, and you know, scum and dirt and mold, um, I started to look at the historical perspective of white liberalism and go back to a person like Malcolm X, who I'd always been a fan of, but never really focused in on white liberalism as a cultural idea. I, I thought of Malcolm X in broader terms, and it, I found it right there. He's saying it. White liberals are the most dangerous people on the Western Hemisphere. And then I added that together with Margaret Sanger and the, and the fact that you know, 20 to 30 million black babies have been aborted, which is the biggest genocide of black people in history, arguably. And I'm just like, this is a complete racket. This is a scam of biblical proportions. And it helped anchor my politics. Right. And as I came into this race or declaring my name, um, I just see these things with great clarity, not only around Christianity and faith, but around the actual history of politics and culture in America. A friend of this program, a uh, guy named Joe that comes on from time to time, is a trad, Catholic, very right-wing, based and red-pilled guy. And he's really uh, reminded me how, particularly at the end of his life, Malcolm X is incredibly instructive, so much more instructive for serious human rights fights like abortion. The only one that matters. I mean, a thousand times worse than slavery. Slavery is a grave evil. Abortion is a thousand times worse for little black babies and for little white babies. That's right. And um, when you listen to someone like the rhetoric of Malcolm X, I should say, it is refreshing. And I mean, even think of, I don't know, the abolitionists, the slavery abolitionists. They weren't sitting around trying to, like, like pro-life, come up with positive ways to, to brand what they're doing. And they weren't saying, let's include even the slave owners, we need to bring everyone on board this movement. They're saying, no, it's a negative thing. We're abolitionists. We are anti-slavery. Whereas we're so cucked and we're so feminized in 21st century America that we can't even state the basic truth. Like, look, abortion's an evil. And this is a Malcolm X type truth. Abortion's an evil. We don't want boons and favors from the opposite side. It's an anti-movement. It's not a pro-life movement any more than abolition. We're pro-liberty, right? They say we want to destroy something, slavery. We want to destroy, you know, for my part, and, and, and you as a Catholic, we want to destroy abortion. But the, the point is in seeing that our rhetoric has been so enervated by effeminacy and all of these other things. It's one of the many ways that the right has just capitulated to the left. They fight hard. They fight Roman. And we fight in these effete lukewarm terms that would uh 
you know, should be called out by anyone who who dares to call themselves conservative. The more I look at Malcolm X, uh, Royce, the more I'm like, wow, this is really instructive stuff. And, and white liberals are the bane of human existence. Let's just say that, particularly white liberal women. But yeah, the black community has a lot of a, a serious amount of dynamic masculine strength. There is not a lot of feminism in the black community. And I say this, well, this needs, guys like you need to tap into that politically. Well, let, let's be clear. What Malcolm X did and what the Nation of Islam did was an, anom- an anomaly in black history in America. And because the Muslim faith leans towards a patriarchal family structure, better positioned him to have a clarity around the natural order. Black people away from the Nation of Islam are a matriarchal community. And that goes back to Willie Lynch, let's say, as a as a ideological theory that the the way to the way to keep slaves enslaved and not have to worry about revolt was to break the woman's image of the black male. And the way that Willie Lynch laid out you do that is you take a black man out in front of the woman and you beat him within an inch of his life. And then you tie his body to two horses and you send the horses in opposite directions. And you will have literally pulled apart the image of the black man in front of the black woman. And as a consequence, the black woman will raise her offspring in reverse roles and she will stand guard over the slave owner to ensure that the young black male offspring doesn't violently revolt against him. So therein is an example of a real racial history of of predatory psychological codependence that was played on the black community that still lives today. Yeah. But is there something like a a reactive, a reactive uh, healthy impulse in the black community to this matriarchal example. It's a cautionary example, right? It doesn't work. Mothers can't be fathers. Like, you know, and so my point is, my, my point is that there's two things here. Black men are getting fed up with yeah. the matriarchy of the black community because we see that the idea of freedom, faith, uh, and th- that what Mal- when, when Malcolm said the price of freedom is death, that, that idea is something that women struggle to play out um, in the social political sphere, okay? Because they're just not prone to violence. They're less prone to violence. They're less prone to make a, a physical sacrifice of, of, of flesh in, in pursuit of principle, right? right? This is why throughout history, when a, a conquering force comes to a new land, they kill the men and, and teenage boys, and they keep the women and, and small children as slaves, this is this is this is just history. So I think black men have been kind of stalled in time, putting this time capsule by this social dynamic. And now we're waking up to it. And the other part of it is that the Republican establishment, the, the right wing conservative movement out of a fear of being called racist or out of a fear of even getting down in the weeds of the race conversation, never invested any time or energy into marketing or correcting the narrative or the true history of racism in our country. And that is why my GOP candidacy has such an authenticity and a, and, and a, and a promise to it because I don't have those fears. You know, I'm not a, and so I took, there's two things to that. One is some people were genuinely afraid to being called racist and didn't want to get in the weeds. The other part is there are some Republicans who are actually racist and even more so there are some Republicans who are in on the bigger scam of all working class American citizens in this globalist uniparty. So there's a lot of different threads going on at once. What I can say is that the black community, the black, black people in America are about to make a mass exodus from the Democrat plantation. And what the Republican party has to do is prepare itself for our arrival. Um, and, and I'm here to kind of hopefully bridge that gap and hopefully um, it can clarify some things for the Republican Party, because like you said, I don't think that this is all transpired and developed by happenstance or coincidence. The Republican Party itself has lost faith and they have capitulated and their capitulation uh, wasn't it wasn't um, 
it wasn't just out of convenience or, or out of a, a, a bully political culture. They wanted in. The Republican establishment and its leaders wanted in on the globalist economic imperialism that we went to after 1944 or 45 uh, in the, the post-World War II democratic liberal order. They wanted in. Yeah. They wanted into the radical materialism and they they had the decency to hold God as a as a central talking point of the Republican or right wing movement. But as we know, you can be Christian in name only, just like you can be Republican in name only, just like you could really be black in name only black a little harder. But, you know, there are black people who don't express the interests of the black community. There are Jews who don't don't believe in God and Judaism. There are Christians who say they're Christian, but don't believe in Christ and don't don't have real faith. So we're playing a game of double crosses and triple crosses now, and it runs deep. Deus Volt, my friend, Deus Volt. God, God wills it. You would be a tremendous, Nietzsche called himself a midnightly tightrope walker between two eras, and he, he was, you know, he was going crazy because he had syphilis. But you, on the other hand, could be, I, I think, quite the bridge between an erstwhile era, an era on which the sun has set and needs to have set, like all the things we've talked about the last 15 minutes. The black vote, I think, can follow you and, and culture is downstream of politics. Politics is downstream of culture, but in some ways, culture is also downstream of politics. I know everyone likes to, to quote Breitbart saying that, but it's there's a mutual constitution. There's a mutual fertilization going on. And yeah, your candidacy is just really, really energizing and exciting because I think you could lead a lot of people there with, with values they already hold, but they didn't understand what the implications of those values are, which is the way you described your um, well, and, and I, education and your... And I'll show you the one that I think is central here. Black people have become the calling card in the fight for freedom, right? We have been the, the, the face of the idea of freedom. But along the way in our fight, we've also lost faith. We got indoctrinated with radical materialism after our fight for access to the American dream. And there was a fight for us to access the American dream. Once we were given a false promise, they switched the direction to a global citizenship. Uh, and that, that's a classic three card Monty move. But freedom and, and, and you know, me and some of my friends are, are continuously trying to flush this idea out. But it's something like if you believe in freedom, you believe in God. Whether you want to admit you believe in God or not is between you and God. But if you believe in freedom in an American context, you believe in God. If you believe that you have human rights that are inalienable, you believe in God. All of those ideas in, American, in an American context or American citizenship come from the idea that your rights, your human rights were gifted to you by an authority higher than man or government. Um, and, and it was a Christian supernatural faith that that granted that to the American way or the American dream or the American constitution. Um, so, you know, uh, these things seem very clear and they seem like angles that are promising and going in and actually revitalizing the black community and, uh, and bringing them closer to truth. Now, I never underestimate or preclude uh, the power of Satan and, and his ability to be wicked and to inspire man to wickedness. I guess that's what the end times of the Bible prophesizes, uh, you know, anyway, but, but we, we still have to do our part as Christians. So I believe there is some promise for the black community, hopefully in America to, to come back to faith and closer to truth and be a political spearhead for, for changing the trajectory of this country. Royce, uh, it's been great. Read one more time. Tell the people out there how they can support you and how they can check out more of your stuff. RoyceWhite.us. That's our campaign website. You can also follow me on all social media platforms, primarily Getter. I'm on Twitter as well. And uh, free uh, Substack. My Substack is free for everybody to enjoy. Are We the Party of God is my latest uh, letter, open letter to the Minnesota GOP. Maybe I'll share that in the show notes. I, I had a bunch of other questions I wanted to get to here because we have a lot of a lot of common interests, but I don't do the long format show. I, I ain't Tim Pool here. Um, I do I do typically an hour show or under. So, thanks a million. I hope you'll come back once campaign season uh, uh, 
opens up in full. But we really appreciate your work. We'll support you any way we can. And uh, just just keep up the great work. We're, we're proud of what you're doing. As a Catholic and as an American, I'm proud of what you're doing. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the time. Godspeed. And I'll, I'll come back for sure. You just tell me when. Yeah, take down Ilhan Omar. People out there, please like this video, subscribe, click the, bell, the notification bell. If you want to support this program, you know, we've, we've had an interesting month, to say the least. You can buy my new book, The Case for Patriarchy. Steph's will be re-released in about a week and a half. Ask your husband. And of course, uh, do see to my Patreon, Timothy J. Gordon. Those of you who believe in what Royce was talking about, subsidiarity, localism, federalism, local power, whatever you want to call it, states' rights, Get out of your blue state and get to a red state. Go to realestateforlife.org and someone will help you do so. Uh, this has been a great show and, and we, this was rangy as I thought it would be. Royce White, thanks a million. Um, everybody out there, take care. Happy Holy Thursday. I'm in the middle of a two and a half day fast. We're going to talk about suffering. I'm suffering through a two and a half day triduum fast right now. Parish orphans and retrogrades, have a happy Holy Thursday and a safe triduum. God bless. Dazzle. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.